0: This is Skin Deep with Karina Tolan, a podcast about what's next. You grow, you heal and you help others. You're very welcome to today's episode of Skin Deep with Karina Tolan. It is a real pleasure to have my next guest join me. She's coming in all the way from New Zealand. She has just woke up. It is her morning time and it is our bedtime. She is a naturopath and a, a naturopath and a period revolutionary who specializes in in mental health and have done groundbreaking work in communicating the health benefits of having a natural menstrual cycle. Author of the best-selling book, Period Repair Manual, Dr. Lara Braden, it is a pleasure to have you join me here today.
1: Thank you for having me, Karina. I'm excited to speak with you.
0: Yes, me too. It's such a huge topic and as I've spoke about it over the past few weeks on my social media, it has created quite the momentum. You know, I just had a Brief conversation with my eleven-year-old, and that was really what sparked my interest in you and getting to know our bodies more. Because of course, she soon will be beginning to menstruate. And um, we had a, a brief chat earlier. She got a note from school about sex education, and I was explaining to her about her body, which of course she's familiar with already, and the changes that have occurred. And I explained to her that. What she has is a superpower to be able to bring life into (laughs) the world. And with a superpower comes great responsibility. And I believe we all, as women, have responsibility to ourselves and to our next generation to educate ourselves as best we can on exactly how our bodies work. Um, And for that reason, I wanted to chat with you here today. So you describe the monthly period or the menstrual cycle as being like a report card for the body, a health report card. Can you tell me more on how to interpretate that health report card?
1: Yeah, let's talk about it. So the, there, the menstrual cycle has two powers, two main powers. One is that it's a, a report card or a barometer of health, which we'll, I'll go into in just a minute. And the second power of our menstrual cycle is that it's how we make hormones. Actually, the third power is it's how we make babies. But the second power is it's how we make hormones, which is also very important for health, which we'll speak about a lot today. But the first power that it's a barometer of health I call it the monthly report card. There was a, a statement from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in 2016, I think. They put out a statement calling it the, a vital sign of health, calling the menstrual cycle a vital sign of health, particularly for young women. So I'm not alone in this, you know, viewing the menstrual cycle as a sign of health. What it's saying is to be able to cycle, and ovulate every month because ovulation is the main event of the menstrual cycle. To be able to do that, everything in the body has to be healthy. You have to be eating enough, you have to be not too stressed. you have to have you know your thyroid and insulin and everything working. and then you get a period. then you, you get a, a regular menstrual cycle. And it, it just makes sense. I mean for, for me as a clinician for the last 22 years, it's, it's one of the main things I ask patients about. Even if they haven't come to me for help with periods, I'll be going through the list. How is your digestion? Okay, how is your energy? Okay, how is your period? And by period, I mean real period, not a pill bleed. But how is your actual period? Because that will tell me straight away that you know what's working or what's not working with the body. And I've said a few times, and I, I mean this, I actually feel, kind, I feel sorry for men that they don't have that barometer that window into health that means they're they're missing that that way of understanding those vital health. clues yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah so it can tell us a lot of things i mean for a especially for a young woman um and just to, to say straight out i mean teenagers our periods start about 12 or 13 or maybe a bit younger maybe a bit older They're not going to be regular straight away. No one expects them to be. There's 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 room for some slight irregularity during those early years as a girl gets her cycle going. And but at some point, you know, a teenager should have a a cycle that's coming approximately every at least 45 days, every 35 days for an adult woman, but it can be much shorter than that. But that timing of the cycle is is a sign that ovulation is probably occurring Um, ovulation being the main event of the menstrual cycle and really as i say in my book you know as you're going through trying to understand your monthly report card and looking at your clues you're asking yourself you know is it regular is it painful is it all these things and then you know one of the main questions is are you ovulating every month
0: because that's where it all begins absolutely and do you think we should all i would love to take that Grace and Ema will be able to pinpoint the day. That is my plan to hope they develop such a relationship that they could nearly pinpoint the day that they ovulate. And I know there is vital signs with mucous membranes and even sometimes a sharp pain on the day, but, um, it's still hard, isn't it? It's still hard. To no. T- oh, it's, not? it's okay. not. So this is one of the missions of my work is
1: to demystify women's health. Okay. It's not that hard or complicated and certainly yes, it's possible to pinpoint the day of ovulation. It's not always possible to predict exactly when it's gonna happen, because there can be quite a bit of variation in that pre-ovulation phase. And, and ovulation can come a little bit later with stress or lots of other things, but it is possible to know when it's happened, once it's happened. And yes, you, you just mentioned a couple of things. You can watch for changes with the uh, what's called fertile mucus or, Um, fertile fluid. It's a a different kind of vaginal discharge that looks, it's quite unique. You can, you can't really miss it. It looks like raw egg white, very um, often quite large amounts. And it's very important, I think, that girls know what that is, because there's so many stories out there of girls and also women coming off the pill, seeing fertile mucus and thinking there's something wrong with the body, when in actual fact, that's a perfectly normal thing to happen. Seeing that slippery, raw egg white looking fertile mucus is a sign that ovulation might be about to occur. The problem is it's not a guarantee for different reasons that I go into in my book, but it's a sign. Then, and yeah, there can be a little twinging or there can be other things that the position of the cervix, um, like the, um, changes, the cervix changes position. So some women, you can actually just with your fingers, like feel where the cervix is and that's a little bit more advanced, but you don't even need to do any of that really. The, the simplest way to know if and when exactly ovulation occurred is by measuring tracking body temperatures.
0: Well, so, I've started to do that. Yeah. I bought yeah. <laughs> it um, it's monitor and it's the first thing I do before, when I open my yeah. eyes in the morning and I have an app and I record it every day. Yeah, and now with apps as well, it's probably going to be a little bit easier to track. Yeah, there's all this, the market is huge. I mean, in terms of what they call femtech, there's
1: all different, well, there's all different apps for recording temperatures. There's lots of, you know, there's a few books written on this. Just to clarify, you know, there's, there's what we're talking about now, which is just tracking temperatures just to know when you ovulate, just out of interest, to know when it's happened. And then there's tracking signs and temperatures to try to identify the fertile window and use that for avoiding pregnancy. That's a different, that's a little bit different. I mean, it's still in the same general idea, but before anyone before anyone relies on tracking cycles to avoid pregnancy, you really do need to have go through a few extra stages of understanding what you're doing, because here's the thing, by the time with temperature, by the time you detect that ovulation has occurred, Mm -hmm. you've already had basically five or six days where you could have fallen pregnant. So it, you know, the the ovulation, detecting when ovulation occurs is actually the beginning of your infertile phase for that cycle, which is, um, which is also good to know, <laughs> but again, you'd really want to like double check that before you start relying on that for avoiding pregnancy, but that's called fertility awareness method for avoiding pregnancy. It's there's a surge in popularity of this. Now it's scientific. It's mm-hmm. not a, you know, woo woo kind of fringe thing. It's, it's definitely a thing. It's a couple of. Um... How
0: accurate would you yep. consider it to be? Like how reliable should be the word?
1: Well, they've done a few studies. So there's a couple of algorithms out there, computer algorithms that women, Use and their efficacy is, I think, in the kind of low ninety percent rate in terms of predicting um, fertile versus non-fertile. There's also the um, like the, the traditional method of, of called symptothermal method, where you track mucus and temperatures with training. And in one clinical study where they did that, it, it outperformed the pill. So it was about, I, I mean, from memory, it was high nineties in terms of ninety percent efficacy. So just to understand, I mean, that's, that's kind of knowing what you're doing, but it works on the fertility awareness method, works on the principle that as women, we're fertile only about six days per cycle, and mm-hmm. we can identify those days. Men are fertile every day, which raises a very interesting question about contraception, actually, and who should be taking a daily contraceptive, considering who, which one of us is fertile every day. <laughs> you know, it, obviously, men should have been the target for birth control all along, but um, which I'm just mentioning because I just saw an article about how pharmaceutical companies have actually abandoned the search for male contraceptive because, well, for a few reasons, I think they just don't think it's going to be profitable. They just don't think men necessarily would, would use it. And I just don't think that's true because I think men would if they had something available to them, but getting off on a tangent here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, for, but in terms of tracking ovulation, anyone with just a simple thermometer that you buy from, any chemist, it, you know, preferably a, what's called an ovulation thermometer, one that's calibrated to the slight raise in temperature, can see in black and white on paper or in an app, oh yes, okay, that's the day I ovulated. And if you know the day you ovulated, you know for a fact your period is going to come within the next two weeks, usually between kind of 11 to 14 days later, either that or you're pregnant. There's no Third option. Like once you've ovulated, you're either pregnant or you get a period within that two week window, because that's how the cycle works.
0: Yeah. And what, where I would be coming at this with the, the young girls today, if they were to rely on that as, as a method, wouldn't it be wonderful if until the day when contraception, because there's a, there are only 11, 12 getting periods, there's many years yeah. before contraception is even an issue, yes. aren't trying to have a baby. Wouldn't it be wonderful right. To make them masters of their own body and so yeah. when the time came it's only a matter of like you know mastering technique then you know because yes. they're all so familiar with the process.
1: I 100% think girls should from, from the age your daughters are exactly in those early sexual health classes yeah. be taught how a menstrual cycle works what ovulation is how the physical signs of that how you can track that for their own empowerment their own information no even being told that they're only you know when they're fertile yeah. and because you know i've heard a few people say well that's kind of dangerous to tell young girls how their body works and when they're fertile I was like how is that dangerous to give information to women
0: ah, that because a long time the 1920s and 1930s that i think we have come a long way from it is <laughs> empowering always
1: yeah and the thing is we feel differently in different parts of our cycle right mm-hmm. so it, it may, it's it's helpful to think okay I'm just before ovulation that's why I'm stronger that's why in terms of athletic performance I'm at my peak my muscles are stronger at that time and then after ovulation oh I start to feel a little bit different I might be a bit you know sleepier or like towards the very end of the cycle it's like oh now I'm feeling quite hungry and I'm you know a bit more irritable and I'm retaining a bit more fluid those are all normal changes with the body and it's i think it's just really empowering to know why that's happened rather happening rather than just thinking oh my body i know as you said i think early on you know when i think maybe before we started recording going from this sense of i don't actually understand what's happening with my body to oh now i'm cycling oh now i know why i feel like this and why i feel
0: like this which is very important Mm -hmm. what do you think of I just feel certainly in society here and in times gone by, there has been a rush to prescribe the pill for young girls for various reasons. A lot of my clients would tell me they were put on the pill at a young age, maybe 14, because their periods were irregular. And as you just explained, that's very normal. It takes quite many cycles before this power horse scatters momentum and is a cycle per se. Um, or maybe they painful periods or, or maybe they had bad skin. Okay, let's, t- let's, let's talk about something
1: very important here. This is mm-hmm. the core of the matter. Pill bleeds are not periods. Yeah. Pill bleeds are not periods. So what I mean by that is the withdrawal bleed that women get from those seven days of sugar pills on the pill, you know, they, they take contraceptive drugs for so long and then they stop them and they get a withdrawal bleed. That is in no way like similar to a period, a menstrual cycle at all, like it's a bleed. That's the only way it's similar. And so in other words, there's never been a reason to bleed monthly on contraceptive drugs. And this is one of those things that's going to go down in history as a very strange thing in medicine. The fact that in the 50s and 60s, when the pill was trying to become, get approved basically as a medication for contraception was its purpose, there was this narrative created as a marketing tool really that it just you know normalizes or regulates the period it was it, no one ever believed that it was always just a, a thing they were saying to kind of get the drugs through so but now fast forward 60 or 70 years we have this quite entrenched and very strange idea that pill withdrawal bleeds are somehow equivalent to a period. It's done a lot of damage to women's health because it, it has arguably prevented the research into actual menstrual cycles that should have been happening all of these decades. The pill was invented before menstrual cycles were, were even understood. So let me just put it in another way. What these contraceptive drugs do is they shut down ovarian function. They induce, I, I do say this, I know it's a strong phrase, but they, they induce basically like a a temporary menopause state i mean it's not obviously it's not menopause and then it's it's not permanent you know it's it's a reversible state but for what so if you if you if you measure and i've i've had i've seen blood reports where this was done for some reason i can't imagine but if you if you measure the hormones of a woman who's on the pill like if you measure her estrogen and progesterone she has none right she has zero because well close to zero because her Hormones have been suppressed completely, and then she's kind of—it's like a type of hormone replacement that you would give to menopausal women, but not even as good. It's nowhere even near as nice as the hormones they give menopausal women. But these contraceptive drugs, of course, are have hormonal-like effects. Like the, the synthetic estrogen is quite—it's you know, quite similar to our body's own estrogen, but it's not the same. It's not the same molecule. It has different effects, and the progestin part of the of contraception or hormonal contraception is actually very different than progesterone, our own hormone. Quite different,
0: and of course, in a number of
1: ways, calming hormone, the stabilizing hormone. Let's let's give some examples of these progestin drugs that they're kind of giving. Well, the progestins are suppressing the hormones, but then they're kind of supposedly acting as a replacement for our own hormone that we're missing. Here's some of the differences. So progesterone as you probably know from pregnancy, is really good for hair. Progesterone is, we get a huge, we make a huge amount of progesterone during pregnancy, which is why women grow, you know, hair grows very thick during pregnancy. It's generally quite a sedating kind of calming hormone, has quite strong effects on the brain, usually in a good way, although some women, I will say as a caveat, some women react in kind of an unusual way to progesterone, but generally progesterone has those two properties. And progesterone from all the research so far is probably quite protective against breast cancer. So those are a few examples of it. So progestins, of which there's not just one, there's like 12, like 15 or 20 different drugs that are kind of progesterone-like. They, some of them, depending on which drug it is, cause hair, like here's an example, like progesterone improves hair the progestin levangestrol, it's one of the ones that's most commonly used. It's very similar to testosterone. It's derived from testosterone, the male hormone, not from progesterone. It's more similar to testosterone than it is to progesterone. And so that's why that particular drug, levangestrol, causes hair loss. That's not controversial to say. That's known. That's a, been a known side effect for literally decades. Mm-hmm so it causes thinning gradual slow thinning of the hair that's really unfortunately not reversible in many cases mm-hmm. and that particular progestin can cause skin breakouts so that's obviously, that's not a one that's usually used for treating acne but that's like, your standard run of the mill birth control can levonorgestrel is the drug in one of the implants it's the drug in the hormonal IUD. Um,
0: mm-hmm. What do you think of of the pill being prescribed for the likes of acne and um, like irregular periods, painful periods? Okay.
1: It's, well, I guess in the, I guess in one way to think of it, it's just massive overkill. Mm -hmm. Think about this. So we've got symptoms in young girls that could be treated by nutritional and other methods. Definitely. I mean, that's the whole topic of period repair manual is, other ways to treat these quite mild, you know I, know, I know that can be distressing symptoms, but, you know, skin and normal period pain and um, they're, they're, reasonably, they're, they're reasonably mild. We'll leave that condition endometriosis out of it for a minute because that's a different situation. But, like, you know, the, your run of the mill period problems respond incredibly well to simple treatments. And to give the pill for that, to give contraceptive drugs for those symptoms is crazy. Like, I really think future generations are going to look back and think, wow, that was a really strange thing to be doing for decades to these what? girls. Because, yeah, here's something really important to say about giving the pill to teenagers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it shuts down their ovarian function, it pauses or stalls the maturation of their hormonal system. So the, someone who helped me with my book is endocrinologist Gerilyn Pryor, Professor Pryor from Vancouver. She's really worth, she's having, a, it's really worth having a look at her work she, as well as being as a clinician. She's a scientist with like 100 papers, research papers that she's contributed to or done. She talks, I heard her speak a couple of times and I quote her all the time on this, that it takes 12 years to mature the menstrual cycle. So from the time a girl gets her period at say 13, it's going to take 12 years of cycling ovulating to get really good at it basically to be like yeah it's happening monthly i'm making lots of progesterone which is the hormone you make after ovulation it won't be until she's like 25 that she's just in her full powers if you will in terms of her menstrual cycle and her hormones yeah. and if you shut that all down like literally push the off switch on all of that when she's a girl that maturation process isn't going to happen. And someone asked, I heard someone ask Professor Pryor, well, what happens then if you p- pause that with contraceptive drugs, and then she has to resume that as a woman, you know, in her 20s, maybe, or even 30s? She said, well, she's going to have to resume the maturation process. That's why, you know, if you, especially if, if you start at the pill when you're very, very young like that, yeah. My clinical experience is it can be hard to get periods going regularly again. It does
0: eventually. It happens. It but I mean, They can be a year, 18 months, no period, which is so frightening. Because yeah, up until yeah. then, there'd been this false sense of a period with the breakthrough bleed, which we know is not a period. Yeah, but it's exactly. reassuring to them. And then suddenly when they are now actually having no period, the life is frightened out
1: Exactly. Especially if they've come, on off, come off the pill to have a baby and then it's like, and then the doctor's telling them, oh, you're not ovulating, you're infertile. And then they get sort of pushed into the whole, onto the infertility train treatment. You know, it's, it's sort of this unstoppable medical intervention situation at that point where as really, you think about it, I mean, it's not necessarily a problem with them. It's a problem with the fact that they were given these drugs yeah. when they were young and not able to sort of mature their menstrual cycle. I will say for what it's worth, even those women who went on the pill very young and are having trouble ovulating when they come off, they usually can. I mean, they can get there. The body's pretty resilient. All that said, you know, I think the most, the body, as I say, in period repair manual, the body wants to ovulate. It wants to do that. If If it's got, if it's given even half a chance to do what it wants to do, it will do it. So that's a message of hope for anyone who's struggling with that situation of what they call post pill amenorrhea or post pill lack of periods.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and just to say, again, like you pointed out, just to be really clear, cause I get patients saying to me all the time, Oh, my periods stopped when I went off the pill. It's like, no, like you just said it, they, those weren't periods. So when I'm talking with those patients, I went off the pill. yeah, I have to say to them, okay, right, wait. So what were your, think back 15 years ago, what were your periods like? when you were like 17, even before you went on the pill. You have, they have to really think back. And that's what, as a clinician, that's what I'm looking for to try to understand. Like, I'll, put, I'll, put, I'll say this, like when, I, when I, a patient tells me that they had regular periods, normal, like real periods or semi, even semi-regular for a few years as a teen, teenager before they went on the pill, I'm much more optimistic about what's gonna happen because I'm, I'll be like, okay, you, you had a few years of maturation of your menstrual cycle under your belt before yeah. you hit pause. So
0: I think it's going to be okay. <laughs> of course. yeah. When it, when it comes for me with the pill, because so many of my clients would present me with acne, having maybe yeah. been on the pill for acne, and knowing eventually they're going to have to come off and they're terrified will the acne come back. Um, I feel that all the pill does, much like pressing pause in their period, it just pre- presses pause on their acne as well. And I think better behavior and better skin practice when implemented young will lead to better skin health um it's actually, like i said yeah. you know one thing that just doesn't sit right with me with prescribing the pill to treat acne is if it was such a wonderful treatment for it why aren't you prescribing it for men as well because, <laughs> because no one wants to shut down men's testosterone
1: you know it's fine to shut down women's estrogen and progesterone apparently they've been doing it for 70 years but men need their hormones well we need ours this is you know one of my main arguments is we women need benefit we benefit from our own hormones here's the thing with the pill and post-pill acne mm-hmm. it's worse than just masking it unfortunately so yes it masks the pill those drugs contraceptive drugs and it's usually a particular it's usually drospirenone that they're giving you have drospinone, that's like Yasmin, Yas. The other one they use in Australia is cipterone. These are a couple of progestin drugs like specifically used for acne because they have quite a strong anti-androgen, anti-male hormone effect, right? So they, that's why they work for skin. And they do work for skin. They definitely reduce skin oils to the level... This, this, that, the one drug, cipterone, which um, reduces skin oils to the level of a child, which is kind of creepy actually because like because adults have a lot more skin oils than children that's just how our bodies work that's how the skin works and so to suppress it like that with a drug here's the problem you you suppress skin oils and and male hormones that strongly for so long the body upregulates their production so what happens is you you go let's say your you know your skin is pretty oily, but you know, reasonable amount of male hormones as a young woman, which is not unusual to have, we have higher male hormones when we're younger. Then you suppress those with a drug for 10 years or something. They up, those, that basically kind of upregulates, you go off the drug, you get this surge in skin oils, sebum and male hormones that leads to, in my experience with patients, acne that is way worse than they ever had before than they ever imagined yeah. possible it's it's like and it doesn't hit right away it usually takes three to six months to really peak yeah. and so what happens what well, my patients the story they tell me is they they come off the pill may not be maybe they're getting periods maybe they don't maybe they're not so they're seeing a number of things they're not getting periods they're worried about that their skin suddenly just goes absolutely crazy it's part of a it's a withdrawal syndrome from that drug Mm -hmm. and but as women we think oh it's it's me right (laughs) like they're like oh my god i am really messed like i am my body must be really broken like you know my hormones must be really bad Mm -hmm. so therefore my only solution is to go back on the pill like at that point especially because you reach the six-month mark and it's just been getting worse and worse and worse you're thinking how where is this going to end like i have to quit i have to stop now i have to go back on the pill so that's the story so i have a blog post
0: to being on the pill? Um, what about yeah. ovarian cancer? Is, is there a link to it? Uh, reduce-
1: yes, okay, so yes. All right, so we can, yes, the pill does reduce the risk of ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. It makes sense, right? Because it shuts down the ovaries. Yeah. So well, the ovaries become very, very so static. Very yeah. There's just going to be less activity, less chance. The thing is, I guess in terms of the ovarian cancer question, It does. um, There's a couple other. It can also help to prevent uterine cancer for a different reason. But the the ovarian cancer is quite a relatively rare cancer. So I guess you know, big picture, I'm just you know, for me personally, certainly it was never worth taking the pill just for that purpose. Not when on the other side of the ledger you've got the pill causing depression and hair loss and increasing the risk of Mm -hmm. breast cancer and you know increasing
0: the risk of blood clots and all the other things. Actually, about libido because I think not enough people speak about it. And I think it's probably one of the most common um, side effects of the pill. And it has huge implications on women, on their self-esteem, on their relationships. It really can not always maybe kill your libido, which is not just for arousal and for sex. Libido is about getting excited about other stuff too, and even getting dressed up and nice underwear and nice makeup. It's, it's, well, there's, no, it's there's no question it suppresses libido. That's Always been known, which That's makes sense when you
1: consider point. when you consider that it shuts down hormones. So it's more than that, though. It actually also shrinks the clitoris, shrinks the ovaries. Now so I, I know I mean, what I mean, men don't have a pill. <laughs> it um, and it causes um, atrophy. So because it it basically induces a like menopausal state, there is for some women that could be a degree of atrophy of which means kind of shrinking and drying of vaginal tissue, which can lead secondarily to pain, you know, pain with sex. That's actually quite a well-known side effect as well, which is concerning. Yeah. I mean, I think as to why that hasn't been considered more important, I guess it's a big part of, you know, the problem in medicine sort of just not viewing
0: women as, and I, I don't know Important. why this struggle. Yep. we don't speak about this more. I was out for dinner um, with my girlfriends and I'd had grace and I went back on the pill then because I did not have a baby again. And that's when I knew at that time, I, yep. I did not know why, but suddenly I, re- I remembered how I used to feel. And I obviously yep. had felt this way for so long. And I was like, damn. And I just said over dinner, it was, I was one of four. I said, well, I'm not, I came back off the pill because my libido died of death and three faces just looked at me in shock. And I was like, what? And they're like, is that, is that what's wrong with me? I was like, are you on the pill? Yeah. yeah. And they treatment, them like, why is no one saying this? They just talk, you know, women just put up and shut up, you know, and they just think that's who they are. It's not...
1: That, that's that's one of the parts that makes me saddest, actually, me too. Is, is, is this tendency as women that we just blame. Which is something, it's always the default is, oh, there's something wrong with me apologizing. Oh, it's just something inadequate about my body. But I, I've had quotes about the libido thing. I've had quotes from patients who, when they came off contraceptive drugs, they'll say things like, Oh, is this what everyone's going on about? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, okay, now I now I get it. It's and you know, for decades, like for you know, a decade or more, just thinking, I don't understand what all the fuss is about.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now I have a yeah. few quick-fire questions yeah. that people yes. to me and I want to um, address them because again, this is sure. people their opportunity too. So, how sure. long was too long for a cycle? Just got my first period in forty-seven days. I don't think it's our actual first period. I feel yeah, but right. So forty-seven okay. days.
1: So there's the range for an adult, so by adult, let's say, you know, someone 25 or older, i us say the, norm, the normal range for an ovulatory cycle is 21 days to 35 days. A teenager can be longer, 45 days. But let me just emphasize again on the ovulation part. This is the single most, in terms of what's called body literacy or menstrual literacy or understanding what your body's doing and your ovaries are doing, it, the most important thing when you're assessing a cycle is to know if you actually ovulated or not, because it is possible to get a bleed and it, you didn't ovulate. That's called an anovulatory cycle. That's, doctors know about this. You know, they're, they're kind of thinking about this a lot of the time, but women, for some reason, haven't been given this piece of information that this could what be happening. What is an indication for that? No temperature rise. Okay. I guess, yeah. The other signs that you might be having and ovulatory bleeds are that the cycles tend to be a bit longer although they can be quite short too that's another like if you're having a two-week cycle that is definitely an anovulatory bleed there's no time for ovulation to happen within two weeks if you have a very long cycle if also the other sign of a, a cycle where you didn't ovulate is actually having bleeding that goes on for quite a long time like the bleeding should be between sort of two to five days really five or six days if you if you're bleeding for like 10 days that was a cycle where ovulation didn't occur. Okay. And ovulatory cycles are very common with a condition called PCOS. So yeah. And then long-term it's, it's not good for your health for your uterus to have like year after year after year of N ovulatory cycles.
0: That's, so that's, so that's I know would, that
1: sounds a little bit technical, but I think women can understand that they just, that basic
0: question of, are you ovulating? So what I would say to that girl is try to get to know her cycle better, you know, to do her body tracker getting, cycle. To, Check check, make sure yeah,
1: check, check cycle. And if she's young, so if she's, I guess if she's 35, having regularly having 47 day cycles, I would say that's kind of long. And I would suspect that might be an anovulatory cycle. If she's, but if she's like 22 and is, and then she's ovulating and she's having 45 day cycles, I might say that's probably okay. Cycles tend to be longer in certain situations like vegetarians, vegans have longer cycles. I'm not actually a fan of the vegan diet, but for what it's worth being vegetarian, you're, probably going to have longer cycles and There's different reasons, right? If you're very active, kind of um, like, a, you know, quite athletic, you can have longer cycles. Undereating can t- cause longer cycles or no cycles. And that's not a good thing. Losing your period due to undereating is actually really not a, a good
0: situation. Well, your body's saying you're not well enough to carry a baby. Yeah.
1: It's, and it's also a bit undereating is damaging the body in other ways, yeah. which is why the period is a helpful monthly report card, right? Like if you reach the point where you lose your periods, that's not the only thing that's going wrong. Like, you know, your body's in trouble, and also, if you lose your periods, you're not making the hormones you need for bone health and brain health and all okay. these things.
0: And um, yep. another question that came in: How do you know if you're in menopause? If you she has the implant in her arm, how would you know if you have the implant? Well, She's, this is the thing: any okay. type of any type of contraceptive drug can potentially mask yeah. the
1: transition to menopause. So, with the implant. It's a bit different than the pill right because you're not having induced bleeds you're usually just having they're usually just breakthrough bleeds they're just if you get any bleeds at all it just kind of there's no ovulation happening they're just random bleeds so yeah i guess on the implant technically if you reach on the implant if you reach when you reach menopause there should almost be no bleeding like the because your estrogen will go okay. down so able- you'll stop having any kind of bleeds on the pill the pill can really mask menopause because you're still having these drug induced bleeds. So Mm -hmm. in that case, you could do a blood test to see where you're at. I mean, I'm actually working on my second book on perimenopause and menopause right now. And I've just, was just writing the section about that. It's like, well, what if you, for one thing, I don't recommend taking the pill through your forties leading up to menopause for reasons that I'll go into in the book. But if you are on the pill, yeah, you're, you're going to mask it. Potentially, you're not going to know what's happening until you stop the pill. And then suddenly like, oh, wow, boom, like, you know, here's the full on hormone deficiency. And often what I see is women who take the pill right up to menopause or through menopause have to just go on hormone replacement because
0: they're so, they haven't gone through the natural, you know, transition. Yeah. Yeah. um so is there any connection between the bladder and periods, frequent urination and heaviness when due my period?
1: Um, yeah, I, Oh, that's a good question, actually. Is, is is urinary frequency a symptom of PMS basically? Is that kind of the question? I think it, yeah, I think it can be for hormonal reasons. Also, I think some women if when they get um, like our estrogen normally, you know, goes down at the end of the cycle, that can when you spoke lower about estrogen. Yeah. Would that maybe No, that's not gonna affect the bladder, but I think just the having kind of the drop in estrogen at the end of the cycle could just create sub sort of change the urethra and i mean i would think if there's bladder first of all i think it's worth saying for your listeners if there's bladder frequency and you don't know why you should check with your doctor just in case there's a bladder infection or something like that so yeah yeah. but i guess if the doctor says everything's good everything's fine and you're still having this recurring pattern yeah i think that could be a Mm -hmm. a pre-menstrual symptom
0: Um, i would like to know what she considers to be the most reliable conception alternative to the pill we're going to go through i'm going to go through a quick checklist
1: So there's the fertility awareness method that we spoke about at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the podcast, and that requires extra steps, get the, you know, get some training, get the book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility, look at one of the algorithms, there's a couple out there, Daisy and Natural Cycles, I think there's one more now. Like, so you have to take that seriously, do that in the right way. So that's fertility awareness method. Condoms, Mm -hmm. the copper coil or the copper IUD, which is non-hormonal, which does not affect does not change ovulation or the menstrual cycle. Those are the big three. There's a new diaphragm on the market. There's a male method coming, which here's an example, which you know, has no funding from pharmaceutical companies at all. It's, it's having, there's a couple, people, a couple of different groups trying to bring it to market, but it's had to be crowdfunded like publicly you know, Kickstarter type funding, to try to get it through trials. It's still, I think it's just- it Go funding. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's like a reversible vasectomy. It's a one-time injection into the vas difference of a gel. And then, you know, to, what, a second injection years later when the man wants a baby. I, this kind of thing, like if this could come to market, this would be a game changer. And also there should be other methods under investigation. It's, you know, it's 2019. We need science to take a good hard look at some other methods of avoiding pregnancy that do not in- of involve shutting down the hormonal system of women. For sure. So, I mean, we have self-driving cars. We have lots of technology. I think we can figure yeah. it out. We collectively being you know humans and scientists can come up with something.
0: Absolutely. I think on that note, um, yeah. you, I will wrap it up because I think that's the perfect note to finish on that we, it's time yes. because, you know, like I said to you, when someone said to me, we've come so far um, with, and with contraception, we haven't, the pills created. No. The we've, stalled. we've stalled, stalled. The, the contraceptive drugs have hardly changed. Yeah, like what else is there in our society so prevalent that was created in the 1950s?
1: Exactly. It'd be like s- still using the phones that we had then or, you know, it's just, yeah. yes, we need... We need progress. I don't know where that money is going to
0: come from, but I guess we're going to have to crowdfund it. <laughs> <Get> some <laughs> other
1: options for women.
0: Yeah. Laura, yeah. thank you so much. I would love to have you on again, maybe when you release your new book, which, yes. um, of course, it's, it's a more for 40 plus for menopause and perimenopausal.
1: Yeah. So, Period to manual is for all ages. There is, a, there is also a chapter on, on perimenopause, but it's for anyone really 12 years plus who. Mm has a period or once a period and then my new book will be coming
0: out sometime next year will be more for the 40 plus
1: Excellent. well thank you so much and thank
0: you so yeah. much for writing such an incredibly informative book we have a responsibility not only to ourselves but to our next generation and to you who have given us this knowledge and empowered us with it. thank you so much Doctor and thank, thank you for your time today thank you karina it's great to meet you that was skin deep with karina tolan subscribe like and share